swinging free kick and a chance here for Kelly. He scored! David Kelly! Trapped a level against all the odds! Jennings. There's the kick. Scoreboards! This is Buxton, away from Backinson, this is Pringle, now Caprice, Caprice with the cross, the header, it's in, it's Conor Jennings! Tramere Rovers, who's double dip, let's it out well! Okay, welcome to the This Is Chamier podcast in association with the official Chamier Rovers Sports Club. Um, it's another isolation interview. Uh, we're on lockdown at the minute, stuck at home. So uh, we're trying to bring you as many uh, good bits of uh, podcasts as we can. And uh, delighted to be joined by uh, a real special guest in the uh, the form of Ian Hume. How are you, mate? Not too bad, Paul. Not too bad. Thanks for having me. Uh, just making the most of the situation everyone's got. It's... Uh frustrating but we're we're stuck indoors and just got to make the most of it haven't we is this kind of a, a rare time that you'd be spending at home over the last five years especially yeah um well even when i was in england when the season was going this was the business end wasn't it so it was kind of mm-hmm. you'd come home you'd have your dinner pretty much get ready for bed you're up the next day for training and so on and so forth and your head was well and truly locked on whether you were fighting promotion, fighting relegation, whatever. But like the last five years, it's been, well, yeah, best part of five years been away in India and Spain. And it's, uh, it's, it's nice. It's been the best, well, it's been what, 10, 10 and a half months I've been home now. So it's, that's the most I've been home in yeah, a very, yeah. very long time. Are you one of these people that are dying to sort of, explore the great outdoors and sort of being a bit sort of claustrophobic being stuck inside yeah I, I think it's more because I'm not used to it because I'm not like obviously I'm going to have plenty of time once I'm retired and once I'm out of the game completely I'll be I'll be home all the time but when when I've been playing and when I've been training and travelling it's it's something I enjoy doing it's especially over the last couple of years where it's come part and parcel with the job um mm. So yeah, it took a bit of adjusting. Obviously, like I said, I've been best part of what, 10 and a half, 11 months where I've been at home. So it's uh, something I'm used to now. Yeah. So you mentioned traveling. Let's let's kick it all off in sort of the journey to to start at, at Rovers. So born in Edinburgh, raised in Canada, am I right? Yeah. And then you end up in Birkenhead. How does all that happen? First of all, um, well, it was third time lucky to be honest because I moved over to Canada when I was uh, what, one and a half year old and brought up playing over there and came through the youth system there and uh, where the the 
City that my family lived in Brampton. I played for the two teams there, Chinkuzi and Brampton soccer clubs. Uh, and I was doing really well, especially with the latter with Brampton when I was breaking into the Ontario team, playing for the province and um, getting noticed by the under-17 national team and everything. I was only what, 14 and a half, 15. Um, so I got noticed by a couple of clubs and I'd had trials with St. Mirren and with Hart, who was my, my boyhood club, born in born in Edinburgh, family all Edinburgh, uh, all Hearts fans. So that would have been the dream move. Um, both of them went over on trial when I was uh, 13. I went to St. Mirren, trained with the first team at 13, which was an incredible, incredible feel and incredible achievement at the time. Um, did really well there. Got promised the world. They <laughs> took the rug from underneath me after sending scouts over to Canada to watch me and everything. Yeah. Um, which was frustrating. Um, and then the same thing happened with Hearts. Went over with Hearts. I was supposed to be doing uh, a week with Hearts, week with York, week with Hartlepool, and ended up being three weeks with Hearts because I was doing so well and I was training with the first team in the reserves and playing in the youth team and under sixteens and um, did really well there. Scored goals for them and played. I think I played two games, scored four or five goals. Um, so they extended my stay another week and another week and. It ended up being perfect because we just stayed in Edinburgh families' houses and all that. So, um, but then it, same thing. Jim Jeffries um, promised the world. Came in, waxed lyrical to my mum about, "Oh, we love him. We're going to report St. Mirren to the SFA. We're going to do this." And then the exact same thing happened. They stopped answering phone calls. Stopped answering emails once we went back to Canada. So, kind of the second knockback, especially from Hart, was the hard one. Um, so a year later, well, a year later, um, I was what, 15 and a bit. Um, oh, so yeah, maybe just just past my 15th. Um, came over with a select team from to- the Toronto area, under 17s, under 18s, and I was 15. We played against England schools, uh, against Everton, and against Tranmere. And the scout, the head, the chief scout at the time, Frank Vickers or the youth scout at the time, um, came up to the coach after the game. And I had a, like, I remember Neil Ashton was playing in that game. Okay. And we had a that, like, kicking lumps out of me. And it was something <laughs> that I'd, I hadn't, I hadn't witnessed. I'd, I'd been man-marked in that when I was in Canada and everything, but never lumps kicked out of me properly. <laughs> um, so we, we had a bit of an argument. I got taken off, uh, came back on second half and did well and scored a goal and set a goal up or whatever. Frank Vickers came up to the coach after the game saying, oh, that kid's decent. And he's thinking I'm 18, 17, 18 with the rest of them. Yeah. And he said, oh, it's a shame about his age. And our coach was like, well, he's only 15. <laughs> so he goes, oh, yeah, but shame about the work permits in Canada, getting Canadian players, getting work permits. He goes, well, he's he's born in Scotland. He's got his UK passport. So all of a sudden his eyes light up and, oh, well, I need his phone number, I need his email address, I need to get in contact. And So I gave them my mum and dad's phone number and before I'd even got home, they called my mum and dad and told them they wanted me to come back over on trial and that. So they spoke to my mum and I had to make the decision, came over. On trial, we went, I came at the under-18s, we went to France to a tournament in Tomplove or something like that in northern France, just outside of Paris. And I went with like Alex Hay and uh, 
a bunch of the younger boys like uh, Paul Walsham and all that that were there at the time. Um, so we went went out there and ended up scoring the winner in the final against Port Vale. Of all teams in, in France, we played Port Vale in the final. <laughs> um, scored the winner and by the time we got back, they, Warwick Rimmer and John McMahon had told Aldo that they, they wanted to sign me up. So it was a, it was a big thing for, for Tramman at the time because they'd had the... The partnership, I think it was with Stella Maris yeah, in, in Ireland. So they brought over like Pete Rogers and Joe Murphy and uh, Sean Thornton and all of them. Uh, they'd never brought anybody over from Canada. Yeah. So it was a big one for them to bring me over. And obviously for me, the my first step into to professional football. So I came over on a one-year schoolboy. I think it was one-year YTS, two-year pro. And uh I didn't even see out that schoolboy or the first year of my YTS. Seen out the schoolboy year. Um, Because I I came over at 16, so I wasn't quite a YT yet. Yeah. And, um, well, just before my 16th birthday, so I wasn't quite a YT, so I had to do the schoolboy year. And then on my 17th birthday, signed my first pro contract, so I went straight into professional. So it it was a massive one. Yeah, is that is that you coming over on your own, or did your mum and dad sort of come over with you? I came over in the digs, so I was in digs with. Uh, so it's a big Jordan. deal, sort of moving over on your own. Yeah, coming over, I was, like I was fifteen, and it was uh, a month and a half before my sixteenth birthday. And the thing is, my mum and dad, we have, I have a brother and two sisters in Canada, and yeah. my, they both had jobs, and it's a hard one for them to uproot. If if I was an only child, then it would have been something they possibly would have done. So. With the situation, it was Tramley had it all set up perfect. So they had the they used to have the digs. So like I lived with Ian Joy, uh, Richie Irons was there for a bit when I came over for the first time, um, and we it was a good group. It was a good group of guys, and it was perfect for me. And Paul Paul Robinson, uh, Paul Robinson was there. Andy Ralph, the goalkeeper, Sean Thornton, yeah. Mark Farron, all these younger guys who were there, and um, it was just a it was a good crack because we were all homesick. It was one of those. It was we were all away from home, all without our parents and everything. And yeah. We lived in the digs in in Clarton, Clarton Village, and uh, just made made the most of it. Yeah. So the the rest of the lads kind of uh, helped you kind of settle in to a degree, and vice versa with you with you with them as well, I guess. Yeah, we we sort of bounced off each other. It was a it was a good group of guys and. There wasn't wasn't much room for egos there. If you, if you had a bit of an ego, you got it slapped out here. You had arguments and whatnot, and you'd, uh, you'd we'd be downstairs watching telly. Like it was it was the standard downstairs for neighbours and home and away and dinner. And then after that, you you question sport and then your match of the day on the weekend. And it was it was just, just it was it was just brilliant. The lads just bounced off each other and. Like me and Paul Robinson, we were we were really close and ended up being like we we lived there for two years and then we moved up to another digs because the digs in Clarton closed down, so we moved up right by the ground and he ended up being one of my groomsmen at my wedding and it's it ended up being a bit of a, a bit of a small family. Yeah, definitely. So you come over at fifteen, <laughs> white one year schoolboy, and then sort of you're thrown into the into the first team, right? Yeah, well, was, earlier was, than you kind of expected, or just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, 
my first involvement was Middlesbrough. So, like, I I I think I played two games for the reserves and a couple of youth games, and all those threw me into the the mix. We had a couple injuries, I think, for the Middlesbrough game, and and all those threw me in. And is this the Wavington uh, Cup? The quarterfinal, wasn't it? Yeah, I was just absolutely cacked myself to be honest because he, he told me the night before, oh, you're on the bench. So I'm like, oh, cr-. I didn't have any six studs or nothing. Like I, I, I used to play moldies and all that and I'm thinking, mm. okay, I can't play first team without six studs. So I'm like ordering next day delivery on Pro Direct Soccer and <laughs> I'm like, get them in the day of the game and I'm soaking them in the digs before I go down to the game. And it was it was surreal because okay, I never expected to be involved and never expected to play, but Prenton Park was packed and you got Juninho and Hamilton Ricard and Brian Dean and these guys bowling in and I'm on the other side, 60, just 16 years old. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm sitting on the bench next to these lot. And then the worst thing is when Parky scored the second goal, Kev Sheedy turned around and told me to warm up. And... uh it was kind of frightening because I'm getting up and the fans are all going mental anyways because Parky's just scored an absolute worldie. Yeah. And he tells me to warm up. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> right, so that's your, that's your first taste of uh, the first team environment. What was it like kind of stepping into that dressing room? You got like some Ned Kelly and Wayne Allison and people like that. Yeah, it was kind of surreal because I, I think I trained with them maybe once. I think I'd maybe think I'd maybe played it like I trained with Ray Mathias in the reserves maybe a handful of times. Like it was it was mad because it wasn't like I was banging goals in for the reserves or whatever at the time. I was like playing left wing or right wing or maybe coming on playing in front of uh, Michael Black or whatever. But I wasn't a regular and for him to say like they had injuries. I, I don't know if Scotty Taylor was injured or or Ned was or something. But to be put in the, the sort of cauldron right away was was surreal for me, especially being such a young lad. With and it, it, it's it's weird because you look at it now and you look at first teams, and even Tramia's first team. You look at the the players in the squad, and you walk past them in the, the corridor or whatever, and they they just look like normal lads. Whereas back then, like you said, Ned Kelly, Wayne Allison, Clint Hill, Dave Chalner, they were men like proper men and it was kind of a big one for me because I was a kid like I, I I'm no ifs ands or buts about it I wasn't an overgrown 18 or 16 year old or whatever I was a kid yeah. and in modern football you probably fit in as a kid you get a lot of young kids coming through at 17 18 yeah but then it was a, it, we were a team of men and it was it was a bit of a an eye-opener for me and that was a big game as well. I think it was a quarter-final or something. Yeah, it was, wasn't was a small one, that's for sure. <laughs> Packed house, so it was kind of a big, uh, a big occasion. Thousand, yeah. yeah, there was about 16-odd thousand at Prenton Park. It was it was just chocker. And it's obviously being so new in the game, it was one of the biggest crowds I'd ever seen. So it was, uh, it was definitely bit of a baptism of fire but on the other hand even just sitting on the bench I think I got about 600 quid win bonus <laughs> so that was that was me getting 
like six, seven weeks' wages and for sitting up, for sitting on my bum and, and doing a bit of running at the end of the game. <laughs> what what do you remember? So obviously you sort of making yourself a bit more um mixing a bit more with the with the first team that season. Obviously we get to, to Wembley in the in the Wimbledon Cup final. What do you remember about that season and that that squad? Um, to be honest, not a massive amount because my I look at it at that that season. My squad was the youth team, yeah, and breaking into the reserves. And you had like Perry Taylor, Michael Black, uh, Joe Murphy before he broke in. I think it was against Oxford, was it? He broke in, yeah, yeah. On his debut, he saved the pen, didn't he? Yeah. Um, but my 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 squad was like Ian Sharp, Richie Irons, uh, Ian Joy, Perry Taylor. Ruben Hazel just come in and um, kind of the low 20-year-olds, Alex Hay, Paul Aldridge and all that were the guys that I was around most of the time because obviously I was I was playing in the reserves, to, especially towards the end of the season. But my, my squad was Danny Harrison. For the most part, was Danny Harrison, uh, Paul Linwood, Ryan Taylor, Jamie Maguire, like all, all the youth team, Sean Thornton, Paul Robinson. We we had a great group of guys, and it was a that was my first kind of squad. I would say was the one I was most associated with until the end of the season when I started playing more reserve games. Yeah, you mentioned some of those names. That's quite quite. A, I mean, pretty much all of them went on to do good things. <laughs> well, you think like our youth team for that year and the year after, like you had Carl Tremarco, you had. Ryan Taylor, myself, Danny Addison, Paul Linwood, Sean, Sean Thornton, Jamie Mack, uh, Neil Ashton. You had all these guys breaking through into the first team. And like even Stephen Davis was, he was uh, under 16 when I was in my second year. So he just broke through. Chris Dagnall just coming, just coming through. We had, Tramier had one of the best youth systems around. Yeah. We probably, we probably produced. As many, if not more, first team players than anybody in the northwest, especially when right. it comes to when it comes to first team appearances. Yeah. It was in, it was insane the amount of players that Tramia produced over yeah. the over the span of about four or five years. There was there must have been over a thousand first team appearances in there. Yeah, and then sort of later in that season, you get your <laughs> your first team debut off the bench away at Swindon, was it? Yeah. And... What, what's that like? Good memory. <laughs> I don't remember much about it. Like that's that was the weird one because obviously I think if if I'm if I remember rightly, I think it was Neil Ruddock there then. I think so, yeah. I don't know if it was that year or the year after that Neil Ruddock was at Swindon. But I don't remember much about the game. Like it's I th- I don't know if I came on for Scott Taylor or was it Ned? But it was kind of just a just go on and run round. Just make yourself known and run round. And I was quick as heck back then, <laughs> <clears throat> but I was very slight and I was I was still quite small. And I just had to go round and be a nuisance. And that's pretty much all I remember. The game. It was it was kind of a a weird. I remember more of my second game at City. Yeah, I was going to mention because that. I, I remember Danny Tiato lifting me. <laughs> oh, I like it. No, but it was, it was funny because I actually played with him what four years later at Leicester, and I said to him when I met him, I said, "You probably don't remember me." And he's like, "Have we met?" I said, "Yeah, you put me in the second row at, at Main Road." <laughs> he's like, "Oh, don't, 
were you the little kid who came on? I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, I, I kind of remember you. But see, I, that's, I remember more about that game than I do about the, my debut, even though my debut is probably one of the highlights of my career. Yeah. So one of the youngest players to ever <laughs> play for Tramiff in the second or the third youngest. And then your second game is, it, as you say, a main road against Man City. It doesn't come much bigger than that, does it? Was, is there, has somebody younger played? I think like back in the day. I was the, I was the yeah. youngest, mate. I was the youngest. I, I took Dixie sure? Dean's record. I took Dixie Dean's record. That was the big okay. thing. I'll take your word for it. I'll take your word for it. Hey, that's not my word. That's everyone's word. Everyone <laughs> told me that. It was all over the press and all over the papers. And I remember the, the pink echo back then. All right, yeah, yeah. It was, it was all over that. I've, I, I think my parents have still got cutouts. I think it's 1,667 days. Okay, I must have misread something, but go on. Well, well so, if, if you've read something else, they've not. No, no, no. Maybe <laughs> the second was... youngest goal scorer, maybe something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, because I, did, I didn't score until a year and a half later against Peterborough. Yeah. But, um, yeah, anyway, sort of Man, Man City second game, young 16 year old kid, must be what dreams are made of, right? It is, like, especially like you, you always heard a main road. Main Road was like you look at the Etihad now, and okay, they're getting all the trophies and that, this and that now. And but Main Road was something special like that. That was on par with your your historic stadiums. You had the atmosphere. You had Blue Moon singing. They were pushing. They were okay. They dropped down to like, the second division, and they were working their way back up and all that. But they had a, a heck of a team then, like with your Sean Goder and Dickov and. Um, Danny Teato was there and like it was just I think that was was that just after or just before the Holland and all them coming back and yeah. they had they had a heck of a team especially like Ian Bishop Ian Bishop was one of the 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 best footballers I'd sat and watched yeah like both feet just watching him and this is somebody who's unknown to a lot of people because he was playing so low down or I say so yeah. low down the championship but he was just class to be on the pitch with him and you're watching him run around and it's Kevin Horlock and these guys and especially back then in Diggs we lived on football manager so I'm seeing all these guys who <laughs> who, who I was chasing to sign and I'm like I'm signing in the Premier League and I'm signing these guys and now I'm playing against them. I'm like, it, was, it was just incredible and to be honest Main Road it was special anyways and just a to be able to play there and to be in the first team against these guys was, especially in my second game, as like you said, at such a young age, was just incredible. Yeah. A few more sort of sub-appearances and then the main road to uh, to Goodison Park. Yes, I watched it the other day. <laughs> I, I watched it live on the YouTube with everybody else. Um, yeah. I, even, I even sent it around my Facebook to get my, my family and friends over in Canada to watch it. It's my FA Cup, FA Cup debut that was, so... It was it was special and to come on and I Given did the circumstances I, I, as well and the, the scoreline and stuff. Yeah, like it was Steve Yates was incredible, but Jason Kumas was insane that day. Him and Andy Parkinson, two best players yeah. on the pitch. Yeah, definitely. And to come on and it was kind of a okay, don't mess this up. <laughs> like <laughs> things have been perfect. Like the fans are buzzing. Obviously, my my father-in-law, he's a blue nose. 
So I'd only just started uh, dating my wife at the time. Uh, she was my just maybe a couple months or six months I'd been with her. Um, so I kind of ruffled a few feathers with that one. Um, <laughs> but no, it was incredible. Like seeing how much it meant to the fans, like that was something I was, we hadn't really had that apart from preseason games. So to see how much it meant to the fans to get one over on them, especially in their own backyard, and then on top of it to make my FA Cup debut and come on and, and watching it back then, I think I did quite well. So um, yeah, it was it was surreal. That was that was one of the moments where, like, obviously playing the FA Cup was so historical. It's okay. It's lost its sort of luster a little bit over the last say ten fifteen years. Yeah. But it's still the FA Cup. It's still, for me and for most people who actually give a crap about football, it's, it is, it's got that shine. It's always going to have that shine to it. Yeah. Is it something that you sort of watched growing up as a kid in, back in Canada? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was it. Like, my old man, like like I said, we're, we're born and raised and bred Hearts fans. But, you don't get Scottish football on telly over there unless you and we didn't have streaming sites, we had dial up modems and it was uh so it was it was literally of a Saturday and Sunday if we weren't playing or we didn't normally play till like the afternoon, so it was on early over here or over in Canada. So it was my our fellow would bring me and my my brother to the pub. It was twenty dollars to get in. So you go in, you get two games. So we had a, a program over there called Soccer Saturday. So you go in, you're in there at like eight o'clock in the morning to watch the first game. And then you get the second game for $20. And my dad kind of gave me and my brother, like he, he doesn't support per se a, an English team. So it was like, well, you guys decide who you want to support. And it would have been easy, to be honest, if we liked the bandwagon, we could have just jumped on the man new one as was going through Brampton <laughs> where we lived. Um, but we didn't. We we both kind of fell in love with Liverpool. So we're both Liverpool fans, and I know a lot of Tramir fans won't like that. <laughs> but I've never made, I've never hidden it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Liverpool, Liverpool fan since I was about eight year old, nine year old. Did that kind of influence your decision to come to Tramir as well? Sort of being Merseyside. Well, I've, to be honest, I'd never, and this no disrespect at all, I'd never heard of Tramir. I, I, I. Obviously, I did my research on them once we played against them, and obviously, uh, when I came on that trial, and then obviously I'm I'm looking it up everywhere and trying to learn the most about it, and then obviously hearing John Aldridge is the manager there, and yeah. the the players who've come through, and the players that have been there, and obviously uh, Pat Nevin, a bit of a legend up up north. So yeah. it was uh, even though we played for Everton, it was uh, it was one of those he. It was Pat Nevin. It was brilliant. And, um, and then again, John Aldridge and Kev Sheedy, like reading up on it all before I signed. And it was just a perfect fit. And obviously being situated where we are in the Northwest, it's 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 great for going up, up, up to Scotland to see my family and obviously family coming over to visit Scotland and then come down to us. And it just, everything, everything fit into place. All the boxes, yeah. So John Aldridge as a manager, obviously we as fans sort of seen him on the touchlines, running and raving and shouting and this and that. What, what was he like to, to play for? Just passionate. Like, okay, he's 
he's fiery, but he was like that as a player. Yeah. Like I'd, I'd, I'd actually knew about him, obviously because of the Liverpool link, but also '94 World Cup. Like we we sat because it was huge over there. It was every game was televised, and you had that rant he had on the side of the pitch. And, <laughs> like that's the sort of thing. Like I, that's where I knew more and more about him. Yeah, yeah. and he was the exact same as a coach. He Kev Sheedy did a lot of the coaching because Kev was a very good coach, and yeah. um, Aldo was a very good manager. He got the best out of his team, and that was proven year in year out. So it was for me. And funny enough, I had a, actually had a conversation on Facebook with his with with Paul the other day, just asking how things were going with them, and I just like forever in their debt because he gave me my chance. Yeah, and he he, he didn't have to. He could have left me. Like you you look around, you had players like Perry Taylor and Alex Hay and players like that around who could easily have been the one that went in, but it was me, and he took a chance on me, and thankfully it worked out. Well, what did he kind of say to you as he's kind of bringing you into the into the first team setup? Just go in and work hard. Just he goes, this is a chance, go and grab it. And it was it was one of those like, okay, I'm not, and I've never have claimed to be. I'm never a been a prolific goal scorer in the professional game. I'm not. I'm not a 25 a season striker, although I should be, or I could be, or I could have been. Um, I'm definitely one who'll go out and give you everything I've got. And I think that's where I've made my career is, okay, I'll pop up with 10, 15 goals a season, but I'll also give you blood, sweat and tears along the way. And I think he knew that, having watched me train and watched me play. And then he gave me the opportunity and just said, go out and listen, just go out and work hard, run yourself into the ground and you'll get your rewards. And Okay, I don't think I, I, don't think I scored when he was in charge. I think he'd gone before before I got my first goal, but... Every time I did touch a pitch for him, I did give him everything I had. Yeah. Are you surprised he didn't go on to manage elsewhere after that, after he left Tranmere? Um, well, you look at it and you think he possibly could have, but is it what he wanted? If it was what he wanted, I'm sure he would have done it. But he's got all his, his stuff going on outside of football and his ambassadorial roles and Obviously, being the legend he is across the water, when you've got that opportunity to have stay at home, be with the family, having yeah. played for so long, and obviously you've tried, your, you dipped your toe in on the other side of it, doing your managerial side of things, and then you've got your TV stuff you do, and you can stay at home and still make a good... A good some people say it's, it's, a, it's a fool's game if you go for the other option. Yeah, definitely. So, obviously, that, that season, Aldo leaves, you know, obviously, Chamier get, get relegated. Dave Watson comes in. What, what do you make of Dave Watson? Um, I got on all right with him. Um, he came in, he brought in quite a few new players, and he brought in a lot of young players and Evertonians and Liverpoolian uh, reserves and youth team players. And we had a decent side, and it just wasn't clicking. It just wasn't going for us, was it? And we were trying to, uh, we broke the, uh, we cut down the wage, the the outgoings and all that, the wage budget and all that. We cut it down quite a lot and that's why we were bringing in a lot of young players and a lot of youth players were breaking through. That's like, that's the time Sharpie broke through fully and yeah. um, I was coming through and you had uh, James Olsen came in, I think Navarro came in. Yeah. Uh, 
Danny Harrison was breaking through. We had we had a very very young team, and although on paper it should have been a bit better than it was, we obviously weren't getting the results, and he didn't last that long, did he? No, unfortunately not. And then Ray Mathias comes in, someone you would have worked with, sort of coming through in the reserves and stuff like that. Was that yeah, sort yeah. of a natural progression, and you kind of kick on from there? Yeah, well, he's Mr. Tramier, isn't he? Like, I, I, you see him walking around all the time. Um, he is. He's he is Mr. Tramier, and the guy, if he, if he can't get you motivated, as much as people might say, okay, tactically, maybe a little bit sort of lacking, but yeah. if he can't get you motivated, if a manager can't get you motivated for the to play for the club that he absolutely adores, yeah, then you need a slapping. And to be honest, we we just excelled from there when Ray came in. We just we the young boys were finally getting a grip of the, the first team environment and playing games and we just went on from strength to strength and I think okay he wasn't around for that long. But I think the young boys started to get to grips with with first team football and a lot of it was down to him because he'd had a lot of us through the reserves and we we kind of knew exactly what he wanted from us. Yeah, that's kind of the, the season you kind of really make a, a bit of a name for yourself, isn't it? O two O three and getting so close to the playoffs. That was ridiculous. That year, like I think, what was it? The last what ten games of the season, we won seven or something like that, and QPR won eight. Yeah. I think it's the most points that's never made the playoffs and yeah, still in is, the division. Still the like it's it's ridiculous and we we were just we, we it was just frightening because we were so good. We finished the season off so well and it was just heartbreaking. But QPR fair play to them. Like they they just took it to, to everybody they came up against that season or towards the end of the season and, and ended up pipping us but that was it for me. That was the that was the start of it. I started making the name. I started being somebody that people had to to pay attention to. Yeah, that 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 kind of that team and that sort of going so close. You must have had good sort of camaraderie in the dressing room. Sort of keep keep pushing and pushing. You know, we kept kept going outside the playoffs, but you just kept going. And I think it was some mad run of like twelve games towards the end where you just Kept kept winning, and as you say, QPR just kept going that one bit better. Yeah, yeah. Like it was, it was mad because we had like I I couldn't name you the team right now, but you you go across it with your your Sharpies, Linwoods, myself, Danny Harrison, Gaz Roberts, Ryan Taylor breaking through. You go you go across these these squads, and you look at the amount of young players and the amount of players who came through for the club. Yeah, and there's there's no wonder why we were doing so well and why we had such a good dressing room and had such a good camaraderie. We were a group of lads who pretty much played together for years, and if not directly together, we were maybe a year or two behind each other, and we were breaking through. And we were we'd all been brought up with the same values at Tramia, so we knew what was expected, and especially when Ray took over you knew what was expected and that's what we'd had instilled in us from youth system all the way up through the reserves and into the first team and there's no there's no wonder why we were pushing. Yeah. 
I think that that core of players, as you as you mentioned, the lads that are coming through, so it just helped you know, push each other along as much as anything else. One hundred percent, because we nobody liked losing. Like at the end of the day, if you if you're content just to be taken part, you're in the wrong game. You won't go far, and we weren't like that. We we trained the way we played, and like from the day I joined the club with the likes of Clint Hill and Dave Chaloner, and then. The year after, when you got Sharpie and Graham Allens, and then you had uh, Flinney came in, and Mark Rankin came in, and Mickey Mellon, and these players who came in, they're just winners, born winners. And they, they led the team through these years, and we were we were a tough... Nobody wanted to play Tranmere. Even the year we went down from, from the championship, nobody wanted to play Tranmere. We were no pushover. We just... Things just didn't work out. And okay, yeah. sometimes you do need, and it's it's in the more recent history. Sometimes you do need to take a step back or two, and then rebuild. And I think at the time coming down from the championship, although it was it was heartbreaking, it might have been the best thing for us because we were reshaping the way the squad was going with the age and the obviously the wages and whatnot. We were trying to. I think trying to keep the club afloat and I think coming down might have been the best thing that happened to us. Yeah. Was it a case of <laughs> those young lads coming through all sort of, you know, going out nights out and that that's the, the the team spirit back in the day sort of a bit of a bit of a drinking session and stuff like that as well, just to to keep like the no, team. No, we're professional footballers. We don't do that. You can no, tell we, the truth. Listen, yeah. Oh listen, we had a good group of lads. We 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 probably had a core of players who were probably within probably three or four years of each other who probably eight to ten of us. Okay, we didn't go out all the time, but when we went out, we went out as a group and we didn't yeah. end up going out one and twos and whatever. We went out as a group. and Yeah, you, that's kind of what you, I was referring to. So. Yeah. No, no, right. <laughs> it, it was what <laughs> it was. I saying you were going out getting pissed five, five nights a week. Hey, if, we, if we were and we were still doing what we were doing on the pitch. No, we, we we used to enjoy it. We it's not the old adage, uh, what work hard, play hard. It wasn't that, but it was a matter of whatever we did, we did a lot of it together. Which I think you've seen the benefit from because we all knew like everyone knew each other's other halves and so like if I bumped into their girlfriend and say hello and like it's yeah. how are you, whatever, it was actual conversations. It wasn't like okay, I don't know anybody outside of football. We we were quite a quite a tight squad, and I think the benefit showed when we were playing because we we'd run through brick walls for each other. Yeah. The following season, sort of Ray Mathias, it doesn't quite go go well in the start of the season. Brian Little comes in. He seems to be a bit more of a kind of professor of football, if you like, from the from the outside looking in. What was he like to work with? He's just a gentleman, isn't he? He's just, I still call him Gaffer to this day. He's hes always going to be Gaffer to me. And he, he, he still stays in contact with people on social media and all that. And he's just a gentleman. He's what he did in the game. And if, like, you, you see his quality and the, the technique he had, even with his dodgy knees. And um, he was just a really, really good. And you knew when you got on his bad side, if he shouted at you, you knew he meant it. <laughs> which was it was rare 
that it happened. But when he did, you knew it was heartfelt. <laughs> um, but when you when you had Richard Hill as his number two, Illy was the he was the voice. It was the good cop, bad cop, and um, it was good. It was I I love playing for Brian because the way we played football and everything was free flowing and the the way the team played. We still had that that physical aspect to our game, but I think we played with a little bit more flair when when Brian came in. Yeah, and obviously went on a magnificent run in the FA Cup. You play a big part in that, scoring some brilliant goals. Bolton, Swansea. Uh, must have been sort of a, as much as we said, like the uh, the Everton sort of run earlier on in your career. This is your your key your key member of this squad, and must have been you know a massive achievement to get as far as you did, especially being sort of a third tier team. Yeah, and we we could have got even further. That's the that's the frustrating. We did the hard mm-hmm. bit against Millwall. We go to Millwall, we get the draw. John Atterberg saves the pen, and yeah, like it was, it was an incredible. Like that was what we were hoping. Like we weren't going to Millwall to win. We were going there to like listen. Come on, let's get them back to Prenton Park. We got them back, and we thought, oh, we've got it here. Like we've got a heck of a chance. And hey, Millwall were a good side. Like you, you look at it. You look at Danny Dicchio and Neil Harris and uh, Muscat, and then you've got Tim Cahill. Nobody knew what was going to happen with Tim Cahill then. Yeah. And like the goal he scored, and we we thought we had the opportunity to to get there, and then they end up going. What was it, Sunderland? They had in the next in the semi final. Yeah. And that could have been that could have been us. Yeah. And then was it United in the final? Yeah, it's, it's, like, final. it's like we were so close. But it was an incredible season, and we'd what Bolton away, Swansea away, and then obviously we lose to Millwall. But then the playoffs, and it was one of those. It was we we were the almost team. Like it was yeah. like losing in the playoffs, and we'd we'd beat all three teams in the playoffs home and away. Like that's something that's always going to stick with me. We beat Brentford home and away. We beat Chef Wed home and away. We beat Hartlepool home and away. Yeah, yeah. And then we lose the one game, the the first leg of the playoff, and that was just heartbreaking because we were so good that year. Like you go through our team and you look at look at the front the front four because like we even had to play. Gaz Roberts left wing because we had Ian Goodison playing left back. Yeah. And every, every the funny thing is everyone grumbled about it. Why is Gaz playing up there? Why is Ian playing left back? Ian Goodison ended up being an absolute legend, possibly the one of the best centre halves that's ever played for the club. Yeah. And he's a cold hero. And Gaz Roberts, not many better left backs for the club. And yeah. he couldn't get in his position. Like that was the thing. <laughs> And then, because you had Linwood, you had Ryan Taylor, you had uh, Sharpie, you had Paul Hall, me, Eugene. Like we had, we had a team that was. We were just Danny Harrison breaking through into the team, playing regular. We just had a team that was going to cause problems. And how we didn't get promoted, I don't know. So let, let's 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 um, let's speak about the Hartlepool playoff. Um, much I don't really want to look back on that. But, um, yeah, as you say, you go into it, you must have been so confident uh, going into that first leg. Yeah, and that's the worst game I played that season, the first leg. I was horrendous. And 
Like I, I remember, I don't know what it is about. Was it Victoria Park or whatever it is? Yeah. In the league as well, I was I was poured up there, and Chrissy Dagno came on. I think he scored two. Came on for me and scored two. Um, but the first leg was just we we went in there full of confidence, and they were they they were a good team. They didn't make it to the playoffs being a poor team, but we knew we had their number. And like you watch the. You watch like I, I've watched the videos back of it and the ones you see on YouTube and all that, and listening to the coach talk about it and saying, "Oh, there was only one team that was making Wembley." I'm thinking, "Are you sure?" Like after the first leg, like it was a beaten at Prenton Park when we brought it back to Prenton Park. It was just one way traffic. They had a couple chances, but we had so many chances, and their keeper earned his move to bloody Middlesbrough after that. Yeah, like one of the saves he's pulled off in in extra time. He's he's earned a move to to Middlesbrough and he ended up staying there for years and not playing a game. But uh, I was just going into that semi final and you're thinking we can beat any of these teams, any of the three teams that are in the playoffs, and we did, we weren't really bothered about who we got. I think you want to avoid Chef Wed just because Middlesbrough. Or you go to Hillsborough and you get thirty five thousand, and yeah. it's a tough place to go. But yeah. you go to Victoria Park, and you're not worried about the six seven thousand they're going to have there. And the only thing was the you go up there and it's windy, it's cold. You don't, yeah, you don't. Even in the summer, it's cold and wet and windy, and it's it's not the nicest place to go. And at the end of the, that, ended up being our our downfall was. 2 0. If, we, if we'd have kept it at one, I think we'd have, we'd have steamrolled them at Pretton Park. Yeah. The second leg, just as you said, bombardment on their goal. The goalie makes some worldies. I think it was the last minute, Dave Beversford, to take it to extra time. Brilliant yeah. goal. Penalty yeah. shootout. What, what is it with penalty shootouts? They've been trying to win too many. Yeah, it's. It's a horrible way to lose. It's a great way to win, but it's an yeah. absolute horrible way to lose. And like you look at it, and you look at the the guys who missed. And to be honest, the most calm, collected centre back on the ball ever, Sharpie. Yeah. You 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 don't expect anything but the big easy to put it away. And then you've got Ryan. Like Ryan scored how many pens for us? Yeah. Over the, over the two years, and for him to miss one, it's you just can't write that stuff and it just seemed that everything was against us when it came to the shootout and it is what it is. It's a it's a lottery and I don't think anybody ever holds any blame on people who miss penalties because it it happens unfortunately. Yeah. Is that I've, one missed, that I've missed quite a few as well, so <laughs> <laughs> wasn't gonna mention that. Hey. That's it happens. Yeah. Is that one of the most disappointing sort of times over your career? Yeah, I think that along with relegation with Leicester, I think those those are probably the two. Well, and one thing in India, but that we'll get onto that. But I think they're probably in England. They're probably the two parts of football where I'm I'm looking at it, thinking, how did that happen? Like, how did that happen that way? And we were just such a good team. Like we had, and if it wasn't for Hull and their playing football manager with Peter Taylor and going out and buying everybody and bringing in the best players. 
Um, Luton were a good team. Like Luton, you just couldn't, you just couldn't fault them the whole season. Yeah. So they, they, for me, they deserved it massively. But you look at then you look at the whole team and they're paying ridiculous money for the likes of Nicky Barn being in League One, and yeah. they were, it was just it was tough to compete with them too. Um, but we had, on the other hand, we had such a great season compared to to the rest of the league. And to not go up with that team that we had and the squad we had together, I think that that's the biggest regret when it, you look when I look back at my my first stint well, at any stint with Tramley. Yeah, that season, like I said, McAteer was there, wasn't he? And um, as you say, Paul Hall, Eugene Daddy, Si Si was still there as well, I think. I think Si was on his yeah because he was coming back from his leg back the year before. Bad, bad, yeah, they'll dip a bit leg break, but. You look at some of those some of those players in that in that team, and as you say, it's the the age old what if. Yeah, it was like we just had everything. Everything was going for us. Like we had we had experience. We had young players coming through who were trying to make a name, and we were succeeding. Like we had everything. We had guys who played at the top. We had guys who played for the countries. We like we we genuinely had, I think. One of the strongest squads Tramit had in years, and I think most more balanced as well. Like we had midfielders, we had everything, and I just you look back and I think you ask any player who was involved in that season, and they'll say the same thing: How didn't we? So at the end of that season, what what's the kind of thought process? Obviously, you've had a really good season. I think you were Tramit's top scorer. Um, Natalie missed out on promotion. I think the club were maybe trying to uh, cut costs a little bit as well. So, what what's your thought process going into that summer? Well, we there was no there was no plan on going anywhere. Um, obviously, Ryan was going. I think everyone knew that with how how well he was playing. He was in the England under twenty one setup, and um, we knew he was going. It was just for how much and to who. Yeah. Um. I heard a couple whispers about like uh, Preston had been in. They'd been in in the January, and Lorraine had squashed that, saying, "Oh well, we're pushing for promotion." And that was fine. We we were we were doing a job. We were that's what we were going for. And then it went really quiet at the end of the season. And it was towards the end of the summer where my agent was like, "Listen, there's there's been some calls and." Um, Preston are back in I think David Kelly was number two up there with Billy Davis and we were just enjoying the summer to be honest it was just go home and go back to Canada go over there with my wife and my young daughter at the time and I'd had games with Canada because we played Wales at the end of that season and then I had a couple qualifiers over in Canada so it was go over there get them out the way and then get ready for the next season and uh, phone call towards the end of the summer saying Preston are back in, blah, blah, blah. Sit down with, we signed Chris Greenacre in the summer. Um, Calvin Zola comes, or he was in and he was able to play after his work yeah. permit problems. Uh, but we just sat down and Simon... Oh, not Simon. Um, Brian sits me down and just says, "Listen, we've 
we're going to start the season, like do pre-season as normal. We did, played games. Me and Chris Gunecker got off like a house on fire in pre-season and um, got to the start of the season and Brian just sits me down and goes, listen, he goes, I'm expecting you to go. He goes, I think they're going to start accepting bids and whatnot and we need to see what it's going to be like without you. So I start the season on the bench and Calvin and Chris play and that's fine. Like I had no problem with that because obviously they had a good preseason as well. So it's all up in the air about who starts and then I'm there for a couple of games and I think I, I think I was there for six games that season, right to the right to the window or maybe a little bit more than six games, yeah. right to the end of the window when out of nowhere Leicester came in. They just sold, sold David Connolly to to Wigan and. They they needed a replacement and came in and they accepted. <laughs> um, I've, I've, the plan wasn't to go anywhere. I, I was never shopping myself around trying to get out. Yeah. I, I was buzzing. I was enjoying football. I was a kid playing week in, week out. Like, you can't ask any more. And when the Leicester one came up, it's kind of a kind of a tough one because they're, they're a Premier League team. Premier League set up stayed brand new stadium I think it was two years old a year and a half old yeah the, the training ground was class the players Dion Dublin there Danny Tiato had a bunch of players from Hearts who obviously I'd watched the last yeah. couple of years up, <laughs> up the road and the managers Craig Levine who used to be a boyhood hero of mine at yeah. Hearts and so it was kind of a listen I'll get down there and go and speak to them and they kept turn, like getting phone calls off David Kelly saying, oh, listen, what's going on? Why is she not accepting? Why is she? I didn't know they were offering. <laughs> so I, I then go down to Leicester. And when I get down to Leicester to sign the, or to do my medical and sign the forms, I get a phone call. They've accepted Preston. But there's like, there's literally like two hours or three hours to the window closes. I'm like, I can't get up to Preston to do it. So I ended up signing for Leicester, which, hey, in, in hindsight, it's the probably up there with three of the most enjoyable years of my career. Even even with the relegation, I buzzed off every minute at that club, and it was just a a great time to to be going there because they were clearing the decks, they were cutting the wage bill, and and trying to start afresh with a young squad. And I think I think going there instead of Preston, although Preston were pushing for the Premier League and all that. Yeah. Um. I think going to to Leicester was the the right decision at the time. Yeah, two pretty good options <laughs> as well, though. Yeah, um, they were two two clubs who were well, obviously one on the way down from the, the Premier League, and then obviously one that's pushing the boat out to try and get promoted. Yeah, so you, not, not, I guess not all that many players enjoy sort of deadline day. I know Sky always hype it up and stuff. So you've kind of been in the thick of one of those. Deadline day scenarios, I guess. Yeah, it seemed to to always be the way it was going. Uh, <laughs> happened year in, year out, and it was like I said, the January before Preston were in, and Ned was on the phone again, and obviously Lorraine's didn't want me to to go, and Brian didn't want me to go, and that was fine. So I was more than happy to just push for promotion, and obviously then summer comes and it comes again, and I was literally training at Raby. We, we we had a game, I don't know if it was on a Thursday or a Friday, that the deadline day, we had a game. And 
we're training and then I get a phone call at the end of training saying, listen, we accepted a bid from Leicester. So next thing I know, I'm on the motorway. Back back to the ground, pick up my clothes on the motorway down there to meet my agent halfway and then and then go in and it's 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 frustrating deadline day because you wonder why they can't do it in the two months before. Yeah. You want two months, you got two yeah. months from from July first until the deadline shuts. So there's it it's it's frustrating, especially once you've you've done your full preseason with another club. You into the season, potentially you're on fire playing for the club or you're doing well for the club and scoring goals. And then it's like, Oh, well, you go in here. <laughs> or you have the chance to go here. Mm. So it's uh it's not exactly the easiest scenario and situation, but unfortunately with the way the the windows are, it's uh, it happens all the time because maybe not in this case, but you get a lot of teams panic buying. <laughs> <laughs> But I guess the uh, prospect of playing a level up as well must have been sort of something that you were looking forward to. Yeah, it's a test, um, especially at a club that's expecting. Like they're expecting to try and push back up. Um, and okay, they were cutting the wage, the wage bill quite a lot. Like I think they took five million or something off the wage bill in the space of six months. So I think the the primary goal was to to avoid relegation the first because they'd cut it to such a young squad. Um, but then they were going to try and push and they brought in a lot of young players from all over and we, we were going well. Like it was a, it was a good young side. And then just after Christmas, the manager got the sack or I think it was maybe the February or something. Levine got the sack because we were bottom half of the table and it was perfect for me because then I ended up playing pretty much week in, week out after he left. I was in and out quite a lot with him. Um, but I expected that with like Mark DeBrees and Cray, uh, Dion Dublin and that there. But in the January, brought in Matty Fright and towards the end of the season, it was me and Matty Fright playing every week. Good stuff. Obviously, the three years ends with a portion of relegation back to went down from the champ to, to League One. You got moved to to Barnsley, million, one point two million according to Wikipedia. Yeah, uh, one million plus VAT. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it, yeah, it was. See, I loved the three years there, but the situation that I was put into at the end of the season, um, where I was kind of told that where you have. A lot of players have the expectancy of okay, you get relegated, your wages drop. Yeah. The contract I had in front of me didn't say that, whereas the contract they did, they had did say that. So I'm looking at my contract and it doesn't say wage drop upon relegation, whereas they have one that's signed. Both of them signed, but they never gave me the copy of that. And that was the frustrating thing because I I, I had two more years on my contract there, and I on fire there, scoring goals. I was leading or joint leading goal scorer every year I was there. Um, I think I got players player of the season the year before, the year I left when we went down. Um, and I was doing well and I just enjoyed it and I had a young daughter. We were living, what, 18, 20 miles outside of Leicester. We had a nice house, nice area, good friends around where we lived and I was, I was settled. We were settled and, 
and they come to me with this, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's that's not on my contract. Oh well, it's the one we've got. So it ended up being a matter of listen, I just can't afford. I said, if you if you leave it the way it is, I said I'm buzzing with that because I just earned the contract like the year before. Yeah, and they'd offered it to another player and. He's like, no, well, I've got a big offer to leave. And so I went to them and said, well, listen, I know you offered it to another player. I said, so why not me? And they said, oh, well, we haven't. I said, well, I kind of know you have. So it ended up just being, when I was on holiday, we were walking around Disney World in Florida. And it was, uh, Barnes had come in and they'd been back and forth for Leicester maybe six or seven times in the space of, four or five hours and they they started out at like a quarter million and ended up somehow working their way up over a million which was which was mad um but i kind of i wanted to go because of the circumstances but i didn't really want to go because i'd I'd enjoyed the three years there even with the relegation um so I kind of tried to price Barnsley out of it with with a contract request, and and they met it, which happy days. Like I'm like I'm not talking extortionate. Like I'm not talking robbing a bank kind of thing. But um, I just kind of tried to thinking they won't say say yes to it, and they said yes right away. Like it was an it was an immediate. I'm thinking, oh crap, I should have gone higher. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's the way it was, and. So I turned to my wife and said, you fancy moving up to Yorkshire? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I went up there and it was it was a good group, like a really young, another another really young group of guys. And you had a couple older players still in the, in the mix with John Mackin and that. Uh, Stephen Foster was there and Bobby Assel, Rob Kozluk, a good group. And then you had a young, young group of me, Brian Howard, uh, Jamal Campbell Rice. It was it was just a really good mix of players, and it was just madness. We got we go and sign Darren Moore, like this guy is an absolute tank. Like <laughs> I, I think I played against him a couple of times that the couple of years previous when he was at Derby, and just a big gentle giant. He'd kick the lumps out of you, then help you up and ask how you are. Like he's one of those, <laughs> and um, we sign him and just settled in right away got my number seven like they put that in oh yeah you can have that we'll settle you in I was living in a hotel for what all the pre-season and whatnot and then what was it scored on my debut scored at QPR away sent off on my home debut (laughs) so I was trying to just show them both sides of me (laughs) can score goals and can and can lift somebody uh so yeah, just oh, settled yeah, settled in. Yeah, settled in quite well, and then I think I'd scored. I think I'd scored four goals in like nine, ten games, and then I'm um, that fateful day on the in November ended yeah. up cutting cutting that season short for me. So yeah, let's come on to that then. So obviously, well, for those those who don't know what we're talking about, um, you fractured your skull in a game against Sheffield United. From a challenge from Chris Morgan. What what do you remember about the 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 game, the incident? I didn't. I was I was never unconscious, so there's not really much 
for me to forget. Um, it was just a standard derby, Yorkshire derby. People getting lumps kicked out of them, left, right and centre. Um, I think the, the two centre hours, Hugo Ehiog, rest his soul, um, and Morgan. And just getting smashed everywhere. Every time the ball come up to us, we're getting forearms and Stuts. looking limbs thrown everywhere. And uh, Andy Durso just Premier League ref because it was a big derby. And I think it was on. It wasn't on Sky, but it was. There was full house at Oak Yeah, and, yeah and Andy Durso just refused to upset Ehiog and Morgan and that, and obviously Gary Speed was on the bench for them and Kevin Blackwell and just he seemed reluctant to to upset them it was like oh, okay yeah sorry sorry like talking to them all the time we told them a couple of us had told them uh, about 10-15 minutes prior like listen keep an eye on them they're just smashing us everywhere and that was the type of team they were and fair play to them they were successful with it they were just a physical team and um Listen, he never, he meant to catch me, but he never meant to do what he did. And it is what it is. And it's that far down the line now. It's what coming up, coming up 12 years. Yeah. So it's, I don't hold a grudge about it, but if he ever says that he never meant to hit me, do me a favor. Yeah. But he, he never meant, and he'd never mean to do that, do the extent that that came from it. But, it is what it is. It's I. I was back. I was back. I was in hospital the day after, or t- what day and a half after getting the operation done. Um, but I was back running just after Christmas, so it was a kind of a wake up call for me. Had well, me start afresh, I guess. Yeah, it was a pretty pretty scary. I imagine sort of being told you got a fractured shoulder. Yeah, well, I didn't know. <laughs> there was no swelling, no uh, depression of the skull, nothing. Um, so the doc, instead of sending me to hospital, just sent me home, said you got a bit of concussion. So I felt bad because the physio, the physio at the time, the first team physio was actually away at a wedding. So it was the, it was like the youth team assistant physio. It was his first ever professional game. Oh my word. So, on the plus side, I got him in the, the paper quite a bit, walking me off the Um But now they, they just looked at it, they tested, they checked it, and it was fine. And the next thing you know, the day after, so I went home with, with severe concussion. Yeah. The next day, I was talking gibberish and ended up, oh, well, my wife said, oh, well, listen, we'll go to the hospital and just have a look. And as we were going down the stairs or something, I threw up and... So she brought brought me into the hospital, and even them, the triage, they they checked and just said, "Look, it looks like a severe concussion. Just be be careful and don't sleep too much and whatnot." And they discharged me. So I was literally walking out of A and E, and I threw up everywhere. So they alarm bells ringing, yeah, rushed me back in, had a got a CT done, and the left side of my my temple had broken inwards. So there was a uh, quite a lot of blood on the left side of my brain. So it was a uh, kind of a panic rush in. Scared, scared the life out of my wife, bringing out one of my trainers and my cross and all that, and said, "Is this this yours?" Like, so she was like, "Oh, what, what, what's what's going on there?" 
And I said, oh, no, well, I can't take it into surgery. Um, so, yeah, just went in. I cleaned it all up. I was in the hospital for eight or seven days, eight days. And then that was it, back home and on the road to recovery. Is that one of the toughest periods of your career, sort of? The extent of the injury, sort of coming to terms with it, and then you know having um, to to build your confidence back up to be to be back playing again. Not funny. It's funny years now. Yeah, I was back. I was back running just after Christmas. I think it. I remember you came to uh, John. John That's the first time I touched a pitch in a game. And even then, you went up for a header. Yeah. <laughs> it's, no, I'm listen. I'm not giving it the big I am it's just it's how I am it's how I play and it's yeah. all I know football I is me it's like see it, it had bigger repercussions on my career than I thought it would have done yeah but I don't think it changed me I th- I, listen I, I went on I've, since then like the amount of questions I get asked oh how's your head well it's 12 years later and I've played 400 plus games or 400 odd games I said it's not bad I said but it always had that sort of cloud over my head and that question mark about oh is he fit is it like is his head okay is this so whether that it might not be <laughs> listen it might just be the fact that I don't think I'm as good as I possibly was <laughs> but I know the question mark was always there when speaking to my agent and speaking to myself and speaking to other people from clubs. The first thing they said was, oh, how's your head? And that's four or five, six years later. Um, but for me personally, I, w- I was back. I was, physio would come over just after Christmas, go for a couple of jogs because I lived in a little village uh, in Saddleworth, came over, go for a couple of jogs well, once, twice a week. And then... By the end of January, beginning of February, I was they, they'd send a taxi over to pick me up, drive me over. I'd go into training two, three times a week. And once I got my fitness right up there, um, I was back training with the squad by what, probably end of March, doing everything, doing head in. Like they, they'd actually put me in, because like, of the amount of running I was doing, I was not going to get any fitter without without training. Yeah. Um, I just said to the coach at the time, Simon Davy. I just said, listen, I said, let me train. So let me just get involved in the warm-ups and the, the 5v2s and all that. So he finally buckled after about a week of me pestering him. And um, when he put me in, the first thing I did, I was in the middle in the 5v2 and the guys tried to chip. One of the Brazilian lads tried to chip it over me. I've jumped and headed it. And he blows his whistle. What are you doing? Like shouts across the training. What the are you doing? So what do you mean? He goes, I told you not to head the ball. <laughs> yeah, but the ball was there to head. Like, he tried to flick it over me, so I jumped. But that was reassuring for me. And then, what, two, three weeks later, after I'd had all the all clear from the, the specialists, I was in full training. Everything, like cross and finishing, shooting sessions, full games, the lot. The only thing I couldn't do was play organised games because... The amount of red tape that I had to to go through, um, yeah. so I ended up missing all the preseason as well until probably the, the last two two weeks of preseason that next season. Yeah, 
I'm going to ask a, a bit of a general question here because something that ever since I saw you coming through coming through the ranks, it's always amazed me. How, how tall are you, Ian? Five. I'm five eight. I'm going to tell you that I'm five eight. <laughs> but you've got a hell of a leap on you. Yeah, it's something you, I've always. Well, you did have. No, still have eight. <laughs> no, it's it's just I've, I I put it down to I always played every sport. When I was a kid, I was playing volleyball, basketball, American football, foot, and football. Yeah. And probably my second love was basketball. So I was literally playing footy six, seven, eight times a week with different teams and different clubs. But I was also in school playing basketball yeah. three, four, five times a week. So I was pretty good at it. <laughs> like people say, yeah, right, yeah five foot nothing like but I was I was actually really good at basketball when I was in high school and that in middle school and I just it's all about timing and okay I can jump high but a lot of the time when I jump high it's because I win the ball because I time it properly yeah and it's something I've always taken pride pride in when I'm when I'm going up to win headers and whatever it's they expect me not to win it so more often than not I do win it yeah I guess Playing the position you do, the sort of striker, you coming up against six foot four centre halves and stuff, it's it's an important skill to have, isn't it? Oh, it is, but it's also to my detriment because apart from this, Plus, yeah, yeah. So the, well, no, this I didn't. This was one that I didn't jump for, so I actually got this flat-footed. But along with that, so that was forty-two staples. I think the other month I was counting them, and I've I've got in the region of 50-odd other staples and stitches in my head. So lip, lip, eyes, like 10, 12 here, 10, 12 here, loads across the top. That's because the the amount of times I'm expected not to win it. So I go in, I win it, and the centre-half just comes through with his head. Through the back here. Yeah, but not not intentional. They go to yeah, they go, okay, I've won it. So they go to win it, they go to head it, and I come across and nick it, and they smash me. So... Yeah, I've had I've had quite a few of them, which is, but it is unfortunately it's part and parcel, and I'm not going to whinge about it. It's, I'm, I've never been the best looking lad, so a couple <laughs> more sco- couple of scars make make people ask questions. <laughs> okay, let's um, let's move on. So obviously from Barnsley, you go to you finally get your move to Preston. There's a loan at Doncaster, loan at Fleetwood as well, um, and then you end up in India. So how does how does all this come about? Just, it was one of those. It was the first time, with like with the Preston ordeal. I kind of when when they signed Graham Wesley to the club, it pretty much sealed the end of it for me. Um, so the next year I went to Donny, and I'll leave the I'll leave Wesley out of this podcast for once. Um, I went to Donny, won the league with Donny, um, and then they offered me two-year contract I go away for my holidays they said oh come back you'll sign it when you get back no worries came back stopped answering phone calls stopped listening to my age and I'm like what the hell's going on we just won promotion and so I went into the club to pick up my jerseys and whatever from the end of the season do and chief executives nowhere to be seen so I'm back at Preston because I had another, I had another year at Preston, so I go back to Preston and 
I was in and out. And coming to the end, it was would have been the first time in my career I was out of contract at the end of that season. So I went to Fleetwood. Went, Graham Alexander called me, went to Fleetwood. We win promotion. Okay, I didn't score goals. I scored one goal, and but I, I did a lot of work for the club, as, as I said before. And then they come in and offer me a contract. But they offer me, like they said they wanted me. Graham Alexander's like, oh, we really want you. The, chief, the director of football comes in and offers me half of what they were paying me anyways. So they had me on loan from Preston on half of my wages in League Two. And then get promoted to League One, and they offered me half of that. So I'm like, how can you... Like, I'm not being greedy. Like, I was, I was in my prime. I was 29, 30 mm-hmm. years old. I'm thinking, you're offering me a quarter of what I was on for the last four or five years. I'm like, it doesn't make sense to me. And I said, well, how about you come back with close to what you were paying me, even if it was half of what I was on at Preston, blah, blah. And they're like, okay, well, end the negotiations. I'm like, well, that's fair enough. So for the first time in my career, I was out of contract. And um, I was just fed up, like calling clubs and they're like, oh, how's his head? Like, well, five years ago, it hurt. My kids, it's one of those. Um, so it, just, it was just a new adventure. It was literally, uh, I, I was doing a, because Leicester just been promoted to the Prem and I was literally doing a piece with a freelance uh journalist at the time, Andy May. He was doing a piece for a Canadian TV company, a sports company over there, yeah. about Leicester. And he thought, well, who better to talk to than a Canadian who played for Leicester? So we, we had a whole piece about it, and he ends up coming back and saying, Listen, have, you, have you heard about this Indian League? Because they just started up the IPL like two years before, the, the Cricket League. It's like, they're trying to do the same thing with the football. So I said, yeah, well, went and spoke to my wife about it. And it was only three months, four months. So if I went out to start the season, I was back by, by Christmas. So it was literally, it wasn't a financial thing. It was literally for an experience and an adventure, just to sort of dust off the cobwebs and just clear my head and go away and have something new. So went and did that. And it was surreal. It was... I, I end up signing for a club through a draft. So luckily I end up at a club with David James, Michael Chopper, Jamie McAllister, Stephen Pearson, uh, assistant coaches, Trevor Morgan, physios, uh, Simon. Like these guys, they all came through the UK system. Yeah. So they're all like English, Scottish. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, result. Ended up. <laughs> Playing for a team that's getting fifty, sixty thousand every week, so I'm like, oh, this is incredible. Um, and then I'm still back home for Christmas, and we we were expected to finish bottom because we didn't sign a marquee player. We had David James as our marquee, but he was our coach as well. When you had other teams like the teams across the league were like Robert Perez, Freddie Lundberg, Nicholas Anelka, uh, Matarazzi, Alano, Del Piero. Um, Capdevilla, Luis Garcia like these guys, like these are all World Cup and Champions League winners yeah. so we were expected to be the wooden spoon we ended up making the final and losing in the 95th minute 
And I only finished with five goals, but ended up getting the player of the year. So all of a sudden, my market price goes up and up and up. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I just buzzed off it and really did well out there and kind of created a bit of a cult hero status. And it was, uh, it was brilliant. And then I came back, came back by Christmas, and it was uh, at a couple of clubs who were interested, and they weren't offering tremendous money, but it was still okay. And then I just said to my agent, I said, "Do me a favor and speak to Tramir." Said I'd love to come back. Said I'm 31 year old, 30 year old. Said I think it's a perfect fit. Said I'm in my prime. I'm just finishing a season. And it kind of dragged out for a bit, so it was, I was out of it for maybe a month. So I came back just before Christmas, I think it was mid-January, before I, I actually went into the club. <coughs> so I was a little bit out of shape, a month, month's worth of laziness over Christmas, over New Year's. Finally got to have a drink on New Year's Eve, which was brilliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think as much as I thought it was the right decision to make, I think ultimately I should have just left it, if that makes sense, just try right. to look elsewhere. Um, because at the end, we all know it didn't turn out well. and um, I just think it was uh, on my part. Um, first and foremost, I got lied to about the reasoning I was going in. Um, but on my part, I think it would have been better if I'd left it and left the... It's hard to say legacy, but the 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 memories of what the fans had of me when I was younger. Yeah. I, think I should have left it at that. So obviously you've you've kind of been to India, raised your profile to a to a degree. You know, we're making the headlines over there in a massive country, isn't it? Um. So what what were you told when you went to Tramia and sort of asked? You know, is there the possibility that there might be something on the table here? Well, I just said, I said said to Adams, I said, if, if you want me here, I said, and it's not, you're just signing me off of what's happened in the past. I said, if you want me here, I said, I'm, I live literally two minutes up the road. I said, I'd love to come back. I said, but if you don't think it's right, then just tell me. I said, I'd rather you tell me that. And this was in the meeting before I signed my contract. He goes, no, I really like you as a player and I, I, I want you to come in. I think you can add to the squad and this and that. And so I'm like, perfect. Like, it, it ends up being the perfect fit for me. Like, coming back home, like I said, my, my wife lives, or my wife and daughter are up the road. I've been away for four months. So we're we're in a in a house, literally, in Britain. Yeah. So all that goes down and then Obviously, things aren't going well for the club and I'm trying to get back to fitness and played one game and I was kind of off it a bit. So I spoke to them, spoke to the fitness coach, spoke to Mickey about just blast me, just hammer me. Told them, listen, we have the bowls downstairs. Said, just bring me down there when we don't have a game midweek. Hammer me for the in the afternoons. I said, I live two minutes away. It's not like it's going to bother me. And not once 
did I have a session? Not once did they put a bit of time on the back of the in the afternoon sessions or anything. Not once. I was going up to total fitness on my own, which is fine because I would do that anyways. So I was trying to I was training with the squad, going having lunch, going home, taking the daughter up from school, going to total fitness for two hours, three hours, back home, dinner, whatever. Um and then we we played York away. And I was horrendous. I I think I played right. You weren't the only one, but yeah. No, oh no, I I know that. But I came in, I got subbed off, which was fine. I should have been hooked off uh, well before that. Um, but I go in, I was raging. Volleyed, volleyed a bottle in the change room and then apologised to the lads. And I was just livid with myself because I know there's standards. And a worst, worst case, if you're not playing well, you work hard. And I just felt like I had lead boots on. I felt like I was in quicksand and... I was proper raging with myself. Um, so that was it. We the, the worst thing is, like, after that, I think, was that a Saturday game or was that a Tuesday night game? It was a Saturday. So we, we'd gone back. We'd had the Sunday off. We trained Monday, Tuesday. And then Thursday morning, like, I had, we had a car school. And... Tuesday morning I go in um, and I get called in Alan Rogers calls me in he's like oh Gaffer wants to see you I'm like okay so I put my bag down go in and he he just goes off on one he's like you're right I don't fucking want you here he goes you're not my signing you, I've been forced to sign you this and that blah 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 and the, the funny thing is, well, not the funny thing. It's not funny at all. The disappointing thing is, is the conversation that was had that he repeated was a conversation and an answer to a question that I was asked in our car school. So exactly what he'd fired at me was me in no bad way in no bad terms and I'll hold my hand up to it listen we never seen eye to eye that was fine but there was never an argument about it but the fact that this came out just told me there and then that there was somebody in our car school who drove in and to and from training every single day where a question was asked to me and I answered it honestly that got put back to the manager and that got fired back at me and that was the way he opened up the conversation with me and he goes as long as I'm here you're not going to be involved he said you'll you go and get changed over in the match day dressing rooms he goes do your own bit in the gym when we go to the when we go to training he goes you know, do whatever the hell you want he goes, but you're not involved with my team as long as I'm at the club. <laughs> so that was a matter of, well, okay. So I walked back to the change room. And just walked in, picked my bag up and just warned the boys. Just said, listen. So that's me. I'm done. I said, but be careful what you say. 
said there's a snake in the grass somewhere. Yeah. I said, so yeah, all the best, and I'll, I'll see you every day, but I won't be with you. So I said, just careful what you say. Loose lips sink ships, and unfortunately, that's the way it ended up happening. And so the next that day, I went up and spoke to Garno and just asked him if I could train with the kids. So I went and trained with the youth team, 31-year-old, training with 15, 16-year-olds, and then playing in the reserve team eventually. And I just kept my head down, helped Garner with the strikers, um, did a lot of work with the strikers in training, and whether it was not actual training sessions, but little bits of their movement, little bits of their... So kind of helped myself as well, because I was mm-hmm. keeping fit. I was working hard with Garner and the kids. And then I was playing in reserve games and <laughs> it was kind of refreshing that he had to bring me back in the squad because I was taking the, the mick in the reserves. So I was playing playing every game in the reserves with Garno and helping him lead the young kids and teach the young kids a bit and show them how they need to go about things and banging goals. In. And it ended up getting to a point where the first team was struggling massively. And it ended up getting there. Uh, well, I actually got that. I expected you to be a see you next Tuesday, but you've gone and worked your your ass off. And he goes, "Fair play to you." I'm like, "Well, I don't know where you read that I wasn't going to be anything but that, and where you thought I'd be mm. being ass." I said, "But that just shows you how much you knew about me." And um, so after saying that, he goes and jumps ship just so he doesn't get the, the relegation on his CV. Yeah. The extreme shithousery, is that the word that's going around at the moment? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then he goes and releases in his autobiography that I'm the worst signing he's ever had. And I've seen some of the signings he's made over his career. So that, that one kind of hurt a bit. But yeah, doesn't say anything to my face, runs away and then throws something in an autobiography that about eight people bought. And I think it was on paperback, it didn't even make hardback. But, nah, it's... So yeah, that, that's why... I think the two mis- most disappointing things were the change room, the way... Or the, the loose lips in the dressing room. And I think that kind of... What's the word? Kind of reminding me about why I shouldn't have come back and not because I don't like I do have a love for the club and I go to the club I live literally a stone's throw away from the club right now I'm sitting in my dining room I could get on my push bike and not have to pedal and be at Bretton Park like it's one of those and it's a club that I have such strong feelings for been at Wembley last two years to watch watch the lads get promoted and um, just reminds me that I probably shouldn't have come back as much as it was the perfect fit. Yeah. I just think it was a kind of a I followed my my heart instead of my head and I hope it hasn't dampened like I I know I still have a good reputation with a lot of the fans, but I hope that four months didn't dampen a lot of the the relationship I had with them, which I know I know it has in a way, but I think that was just being a part of the collective instead of individual. 
Yeah, I don't think so really. I mean, we barely saw you, to be honest. So <laughs> it's a bit hard to get tarnished with that same brush. Yeah. But, um, but again, it is, it is what it is, unfortunately. Yeah. And it's, it's, in the, it's in the past. And like I said before, the worst thing in the world that happened to the club was getting relegated from the league. But look at, what, look at the success oh, and the joy yeah. that the last three years has brought the club. Yeah. So, for every cloud, not that they say, it's a it's a tough one. But the club's back where it belongs right now, and I just hope I hope that they can stay where they are right now because I don't want to see them drop down again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, kind of, we spoke to Danny Holmes a couple of weeks ago. Um, obviously, spoke about the that particular season and all the players that were coming and going and. So Danny said there was probably four to five lads who actually sort of cared enough to to want to do well for the club. The others were just sort of taking a paycheck. And I guess from what you're saying about you know a, a snake in the grass kind of kind of sums up that the, that kind yeah. of dressing room. I guess <laughs> the worst part is the snake in the grass was a member of the club for a long time. That was the worst bit. I'd known him since I was 15 years old. So yeah. That was the that was the hardest bit for me to take was the fact that I knew him. Yeah. But again, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I agree with Holmesy. There was far far too many loanees and people coming in and getting offered a four month contract and oh well, I'll just come in. And you see the way they train and the way they talked and the way it was like when when I came through at Tranmere, the boys we were there. We'd finish training at 1 o'clock, 12 o'clock. We'd be there till 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, playing head tennis together, playing yeah, in the gym. We, but we, it was a proper squad. Yeah. This one was who can get in the car the quickest and get on the motorway because they lived in Manchester, lived in Shrewsbury, lived in uh, Stoke, lived in bloody Yorkshire, lived in Preston Way, whatever. But you literally had a race for your car to get out. Some guys were even taking clothes up to training ground and getting off from there. Like it was, it was not a, it was not a squad that deserved anything but what they got. Unfortunately, there was guys who'd come through, like you like Holmes. Holmes is a local lad who would shed tears and bleed for the club, but even he got pushed out. You got yeah. Jason Kumas. Okay, people always questioned his effort that he put in, but he still loved the club. And his quality would shine through. But then you got guys coming in who, well, it's their 10th loan spell in the last five years. Like, how can they get an affection and a, a relationship with the club and prove to people that that's, they want to be successful there apart from their own sort of shop window? Like, that's, that's the thing that people and a lot of clubs, and that's the problem with a lot of these loanees and all that. They're very, very good players. But you have to have time to bed in. Yeah. You have to have time to make a name and make a an affiliation with the club. And we had so many, like how many squad numbers were there? I was wearing the same squad number I had twenty years before. <laughs> and they, they, they used fifty one players that season. And you wonder why things went the way they did. Yeah. Unfortunately, and I'm not trying to be horrible. Like it, it was. Let's try and put a bit of paste over the cracks and see if that lasts for a bit. And... Yeah. If it didn't wait one, didn't wait one week, there was another 
two yeah. or three coming in to try and pay prove it the next. Yeah. And if it doesn't go well, well, let's change the squad. Let's change the team every single week. Let's see how it goes. And that was that was the the tough thing is when you're fighting relegations, and I've been a part of them way too many times for my liking. But when you can't change, you need to try and stick with what you've got and stick with bringing one or two and try and just freshen it up. But when you change eight guys in the space of a week, it's like thanks. And then to and then the worst the worst thing for me was jumping ship with two games to go. Like how don't be a shit house, come on. Like at least take it on the chin. You know what I mean? Like just okay, if we're going down, you sit there, you take it, and then you leave at the end of the season. Like there was literally no way unless we won eight nil the last two games each, there was no way we were staying up. Mm-hmm. But because mathematically you walk out tosser for me absolute tosser but hey that's just me <laughs> no but I appreciate you kind of speaking <laughs> your mind telling the truth there's I guess a lot of supporters kind of looked from the outside and you see all the players coming and going and it just seemed a bit of a circus and obviously what you're saying is kind of putting the, the pieces of the jigsaw together for the people who weren't sort of involved and sort of seeing that yeah, it's like the thing is, like you, you don't hear about it. And I felt bad for, for Alan Rogers because he was on the coattails of him, comes in with him and then has to take the last two games. And for yeah. somebody who was in charge, who played for the club for years, has to take charge of that. Like it's, how, how, how do you come on or come into that and try and change it? And it was... It was an impossible situation for them, but the fact that Tank st- stayed with us through the last two games, him and Garno tried the best, training was good, they had the spirits up, and it just didn't work. Yeah. But I think the sink was far too sunk at the time. Definitely, yeah. It's obviously a disappointing rele- another relegation on you, on your CV, which is never nice. Not, not one on Mickey's uh, CV, sadly, but... Back to uh, back to India, and then it's a bit of a Humi roadshow, isn't it? Last sort of four or five years. Yeah. Um, well, after that season, uh, Peter Taylor came in at the club I was at, and I'd been negotiating for like three months, and pretty much everything signed, sealed, and ready to go. And Peter Taylor came in and squashed it. He just said, "No." He, He's too old. He's 31. Um, not fit enough. I can sign, and it wasn't massive though, but he's like, I can sign two or three players on what he's on. I'm thinking, what players are you going to bring in for that? Um, he ends up bringing in Chrissy Dagnall. In fairness, Chrissy Dagnall went out there and did brilliantly because Chrissy Dagnall did what Chrissy Dagnall does, runs around, scores, scores goals when given the chance. And... Um, but the best part of that was that, like, I joined another club and I ended up playing. We had uh, 16 games that year. I missed nine minutes for somebody who wasn't fit enough. <laughs> and I got the fittest player. Like, it's, it's madness. They give awards for everything. So I got fittest player of the year because I had the most minutes. Ironic. Per, 
Oh yeah. Well, I, I said that in my my interview afterwards. <laughs> I said it's kind of ironic that I'm receiving this award. I said especially when people cancel contracts because I'm not fit enough. Um, I said, but good to see they got sacked first sacking in Indian Super League history, Peter Taylor, which was which was brilliant for me personally. Um, don't know him. That's the funny thing. I don't know him. Yeah. But for him to come and kind of pull away from something I'd created there with that club and got to the final and uh, doing so well and getting the Player of the Year award and all that, and then he comes in and squashes that with a, just a pulling a one contract right away. So I ended up going to the team that beat us in the final. As soon as they found out I was available, they were on the phone within hours and signed for them and spent two years there. Ended up winning the league with them. The the next that second season, we should have won the league. We best team I've seen in that league in six seasons that they've had, and uh, we lost. In the, had one bad game, similar to the Hartlepool. We had, that was the one bad game we had all season. Yeah, we got beat three 0 The one literally one bad game we had all season got beat three 0 Won the won the second game, the second uh, semi final two one at home. But we we lost that first game, the one bad game we had, and ended up ultimately costing us. But we went to win it the next season, so we won it in season three. So <laughs> it was a, uh, in in my eyes, wasn't as good a team as we had in season two, but we were we were efficient, we were very good defensively, scored some good goals, some good players going forward, and ultimately went and beat my old team again in their in their back garden. 65, 70,000 people there, all yellow. We were wearing red and white and we beat them. Well, what's it like over there? So obviously, it's a new kind of league. You mentioned some of the players that kind of tried to kind of the IPL cricket sort of style, bring in all the star, star, you know, star names and, and create this league. The kind of fanaticism that you see at the cricket, is it the same that you, you guys were getting in on the, on the football? Especially the first two or three seasons, like it was carnage because it was only four months, so they could sort of they could put the fans could put everything into that four months and just have a Riker go, and then the cricket came and they could move yeah. back to their cricket. Um, but yeah, they brought in the big names to put bums in seats. So like you look at it, Diego Forlan was in there, um, John Onorisa, Roberto Carlos came the second season, uh, Lucio came the second season. So I'm playing against guys like Lucio and Nesta, Materazzi, <laughs> three of the best centre halves of my generation. Yeah, World Cup winners. I'm playing, and I'm playing against them. And then you've got like Alano, World Cup winner. You've got Roberto Carlos, bloody hell, best left back the world's ever seen. <laughs> John John Arnarisa, one of my heroes, yeah. playing for Liverpool. Like these guys, I'm playing against. Trezeguet, Anelka, like I, it's like playing a game of FIFA with the Legends teams, <laughs> and it's like I'm sitting on the I'm on the pitch with them. I've got their jerseys here. I've got the half of them signed. I've got photos with them all, and these are things that like dreams are made of. And you only thought like it's like growing up over here and getting that one game in the FA Cup against. Liverpool or against United and playing up against the likes of Beckham and Steven Gerrard and all that. It's what you dream of. And I ended up doing it all in the season against players that I 
I kind of fantasized about. <laughs> so it must be must be crazy. And then you've had a couple of spells in Spain as well, is that right? Yeah, after with that affiliation with Calcutta, with the team I joined second and third seasons, they were co or they were owned by um well sorry, they were affiliated with Atletico Madrid. So after those two seasons they they put words in for me. Like after the first season I was with them, I was on fire, I'd scored thirteen goals and what, sixteen games and yeah. did really well and they'd put my name to sorry, I scored eleven goals in sixteen games, but they put my name out to Spanish teams saying because they wanted to sign me the next year, so trying to keep me ticking sort over. of yeah ticking it well make sure I'm playing games for one, and make sure I'm I know that they still want me yeah, so they they sorted out a couple of clubs for me and the first one didn't go as well it was at a higher level didn't go that well a new coach came in and got rid of all foreign players. We, we were all just... And because they have no reserve league. <coughs> so you had three foreign players doing nothing, apart from training four days a week. That was it. We had no games, no nothing, um, which was tough. And then he got sacked and we got brought back in. And But the second, my second stint there, I went out um, after we'd won the, the league in India. I'd signed for this club and... They they were in, I think they had thirteen points by Christmas or something like that. Like they were in dire straits, and they they got rid of their coach and they brought in a new one and he cleaned the decks. He got rid of everybody. He brought in I think thirteen fourteen players in January, and said, "Listen, this is it. This is what we've got." And we went on a tear. We just had an absolute worldie. I think we I think we had the second highest points in the second half of the season. And I ultimately scored the goal that kept us up. Oh, it was the only goal, only goal I scored in Spain. Um, hold on a sec, Alyssa, can you pass me the phone charger, please? One of the phone chargers, please. Sorry, that's um, right. Yeah, it was the, the only goal I scored in Spain, and it ended up being the one that kept the club up and. It was a, uh, it was a brilliant one. It was a, well, I say brilliant one. It was a header, <laughs> a little, little salmon. Um, but it ended up being the only goal I scored in Spain, which was, which was brilliant for me. And yeah, I just wish, I, I kind of wish that, I, like when when I was out of contract, before I went to India, if that the in the Spain one had come up then, I think that was perfect. I think with um, how I adapted to the game and how I think the way I play, the physical side of how I play, I think I could have had a, a really good career out there. But again, look back and you you think of what you can change to make things better. But um, I just enjoyed it. Been been around the world a couple of times. Um, ultimately, I'd never aimed to leave the UK, but I think it was it was great for my my journey and my story that it did happen. And obviously, coming to towards the towards the end, is that is that fair to say? Your playing career. So I think you got something yeah. to offer though. 
I think I think I would have like I, I still think I can if if I'm if I get myself fully fit but I've just had another like I did my ACL out in India what two years ago um so I recovered from that played all of last season or second half of last season but then I've had nothing since then so I was having a bit of problems with my knee so I decided it's a good good time with having no club to go in and get a clean up so I went in got it cleaned up um, I think it's fair to say unfortunately uh, that it looks like it's probably the end of playing at, at, at the top at professional level um, I'll continue playing until I can't walk to be honest uh, but I just think at the moment what's the point on trying to grab something for a couple of months and go in and do this and maybe excel. Um, if if I accept that it's 590 games, I've been 20, 20 years, just under 20 years professional. Yeah. It's not a bad run, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people will be over the moon with half of those games. So, um happy with what I've done I know I could have done a lot more but everything happens for the for a reason and I think moving moving to post playing right now I'm I'm gearing up for it uh just finished my B license coaching um contemplating when's the right time to go into my A license um but I don't want to do it right away I want to get a bit of experience doing something first and if I can if I can get a a little bit of work under my belt in the next year or so, I'll probably push onto my A license and then see where that takes me. And if that pushes me onto my pro down the line, then then I'll be over the moon with that. But at the moment, I'm just gearing up for what's next. And if playing, which seems to be the case, if playing does come to an end, then then I want to be ready for for the next chapter. Fancy yourself as a manager? Um, I think I'm more geared up for a manager manager's role than, than I am a coach's role. Um, I think doing work with individual units as far as strikers and whatnot, I think that could be something that would I could excel at. Uh, but I think more of a manager role. But again, I'm still learning. So I might find out that I love coaching. I might find out that I love, like I do enjoy it. I do enjoy seeing benefits of what I, I speak about and whatnot and what I try and put into place. But again, I might I might find out I love coaching and then that, that answer there could change. But <laughs> at the moment, it's it's just find out. I want to get my feet wet first, get in there and, and see see if I can just help anybody in, in any way, shape or form. And, um hopefully that starts hopefully this everyone stays safe and this this coronavirus thing disappears because it's starting to do my head in. um <laughs> but once that goes then i'll be able to see what the next chapter holds and see how well i do at it to be honest because as much as i've been in the game as a player like what best part of what 30 32 years playing football in my life and almost 20 years pro Still not a coach. 
as much as I may think coaching will be, or a lot of people think coaching will be easy, it's it's a part of the game that a lot of us footballers still know nothing about. And until we actually try and do it, we know nothing about it. So mm. I'm I'm eager to learn. I'm eager to to test myself. So that's that's the the next one for me. I think if if the playing days, as as we said, if if they are over, like they more than likely are, unfortunately, and it's hard to accept and hard to talk about. But I think uh, the sooner I, I'm I'm going to stay in the game regardless. But the sooner I get into the next chapter and into the next role, I think the better because then I'm only way to to get better is to learn and to to test yourself. So. I'm looking forward to. Yeah, right. Wish you well with that. Let's go for uh, put out a uh, some questions on Twitter. So we we'll yeah, go for right. a few quick, few quick ones. Yeah. Um, was there ever any Premier League interests, Ashley and Mullen? Not that I know of. Um, I think there was a couple sniffs at one point from Paul Jewell at Wigan. Um, that would have been before Ryan went there. Yeah. Um, I think from what I was told, Blackburn were watching, but nothing serious. And I may be wrong on those, but that's what I was told. Yeah. But I may be wrong. Nothing, nothing serious. So I don't think there was any ever offers put in. Peter Sale asked, "What was your favourite goal?" <laughs> Apart from my first one, which is obviously Peterborough front post. Header. Um, apart from that, you like everyone says you've got to look at the the Swansea or the the Bolton goals. They were they were both really good. But I think for me, the when we played Blackpool and I scored two, and the one I, mm-hmm. I ran at Colin Hendry and I gave him a bit of a a see into that day, which for <laughs> me was massive. A Scottish centre half. Yeah. Uh, Tom Davies asks, would you have stayed if we'd have gone up in 2005? I think you probably answered that already. Um, yeah, well, I probably would have. I wasn't I wasn't looking to leave anyways. Um, yeah. And I, I remember clear as day in the awards dinners and all that at the end of the season telling people, because they asked, oh, are you leaving? I said, no, I'm not planning on going anywhere. So, no, I'd, I'd say if we're up in the championship, <laughs> why would I leave? Yeah, of course. Uh, Tony asks when you came on at Everton did you try the little fancy back heel that didn't really work out I read that <laughs> I, I think I liked it as well on Twitter um, well I've made a run haven't I so I've made a run for the ball to get put across the face of goal and takes another touch so I'm past the first post so there's only one thing I can do there and that's try and flick it and it didn't come off End of. <laughs> it's a good pass back to Jason, though. Oh, straight out for the goal kick, wasn't it? <laughs> but it was it was on my wrong foot. It was one of those. It was nothing really else I could have done. Uh, right, SWA Midlands. Uh, Favourite game in a transmission and why? Favourite game in a transmission? I think I'd have to go for... You see the obvious ones, the cup games. Um... If I'm going for one on a whole, it's got to be Wrexham. Wrexham away. We were incredible. Oh, we were incredible. 
like everything, absolutely everything went well for us that day. And I think I scored one set, two or three up, and yeah. I just, I just enjoyed it. And especially for the fans because we'd we'd brought down what two and a half, three thousand there, yeah, yeah. if not more. So to do it on their ground as well was was brilliant. And that's a perfect way to end this interview, Ian. Thank you so yeah. much for your time, mate. No, not a problem. I apologise about the hiccups with the Wi-Fi and that, but... No, no, don't worry. I think everybody in there and their dogs on the Wi-Fi at the minute. So. <laughs> no, yeah. brilliant speaking to you. All the best with your coaching and everything. We'll probably stay in touch on Twitter and stuff. Yeah, and, uh, yeah keep doing what you're doing. Top man, Paul. Thanks very Cheers, much. Cheers, Ian. Take care, mate. All right.